When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Unsportsmanlike Podcast on ESPN Radio. Okay, welcome to the show. It is Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. You can listen to us on all of our great ESPN stations across the country, Sirius XM80. Watch us on ESPN2. Hello, Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. The Diamondbacks are going to the World Series to take on the Texas Rangers. We'll have it for you on ESPN Radio, which means the Phillies are going home after a 2-0 lead and a 3-2 lead. Our producer, Pat Costello, huge Philly fan, is miserable, and Christopher Mad Dog Russo may retire. Good morning, everybody. How are good you today? Morning, good morning, my neighbors. Well, it's not a good morning for Pat. It's no. a it's a sad day in Mudville for all the Phillies fans. Like I, I'm pretty sure when they went up 2-0 in the CS. They felt like this was all but done, and then the D-backs rattle off four wins over the last, next rattle five games. Rattle, I'm just saying, rattle. You know, yeah, you know, like put that. a little pun like in that. there. Rattle off four of the last five uh, games with wins. I mean, just, <laughs> it was. It, it felt. It felt. It felt. It felt like it was inevitable, Smalls. You know why? Because our very own Pat Costello yesterday, when we asked him about which would he rather have, getting blown out. And having a situation where he can process his team not advancing while the game was actually on versus having it be a close game mm-hmm. and be on the losing side of it. Mm-hmm. You just knew that last night it was going to happen in gut-wrenching fashion for the Phillies. And that's exactly how it played out. So is now the time that we go to a wellness check? Do we do no, a wellness check? No, I don't want to do a wellness I don't want to do a wellness check okay. with Pat. Okay. He touched the money yesterday by saying what he said. He's like, no, I don't want to go out like the Astros did, losing eleven to four to the Rangers. I want it to be close. At least we have a chance. At least we have hope. How do you feel now, Pat? How do you feel? You know what? I I, I said this a month ago and I stand by this. When it comes to your sports fandom, Pat, I wish all the bad things happened to you and nobody else. And that's exactly what played out at the bank last night. And I'm glad about it. Pat, your thoughts? It feels like someone took a dump on my soul. And it feels like someone used a slap chop on my heart. So thank you, Chris Candy, for really accentuating that. Well, I mean, you're welcome. You did did ask for it this way. This is how, if it was going to get done, you wanted it done. You wanted it close. You didn't want it to be a blowout. You wanted to feel the pain. People can go back on the ESPN app, listen to our podcast. This was a big portion of the show yesterday. It's how you want to lose. Well, you never want to lose. But if you have to lose those painful games, how do you want it done? Pat Costello, over and over and over again said, I wanted it to be close. And I, I want and I want to have three runners stranded in the bottom of the fourth inning after scoring a run. That one's I want to have the top of my lineup with three great, not good players, great players 
in Schwarber and Trey Turner and Bryce Harper. I want them to go one for 11 with a walk and three strikeouts with the only guy of the three getting on base to be Schwarber. I want Nick Castellanos to just fall apart in this series. I want to be up 2 nothing and then 3-2 and come home and to sing Dancing on My Own and lose the next two games. No, you want it to be close. Yeah, I did want it to be. And guess what? Until the ball fell into the glove for that final out, I was still like, Jake Cave could get a hit here. Jake Cave could hit a single, and then Kyle Schwarber could hit a home run, and we're right back in it, and then it's tied. I had the hope until literally the game was officially over. But what was the moment where you really knew that it was over? What is it, the bottom the, of the fourth? The seventh inning. Oh, it was the seventh inning? The seventh when, when inning. When the two pop flies by Trey Turner and Bryce Harper, was yeah, that it? That was that, the moment? That was it. It was yeah. over. I was like, "That's yeah. we're done. But why would you give up hope then, Pat? I mean, I'm a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals. They were down to their last strike twice in Game 6 of the World Series. And they were able to rally back, win Game 6 and win Game 7. Why would well, you think it was over at that point? Well, you have a championship organization. Oh. Pat? Oh. Mm. Mm. I see you. I see you looking at me. I'm looking right back at you. I see Javante laughing. I see that is, ESPN too. I see Nuno clapping. Nuno clapping for me? Now you know I must have said something strong there, Pat. Come on now. Hello? He has no words. He has <laughs> no words. Is he retiring with dog? Is that what's happening? Uh, I think that might be yeah, what's happening. Because Mad Dog better retire after all that. <laughs> well, okay, so now here's the other storyline yeah, with yeah. all of this. Mad Dog Unleashed, Sirius XM 82. Christopher Mad Dog Russo, who you'll see today on first, well, I think we'll see today on maybe, first day. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, does he show up? He, yeah. He's trending all over social media now because he said this going into these final two games. I've been wrong in Arizona from day one. I, I, a, I'm stunned to beat Milwaukee. I thought they'd get swept by the Dodgers. I never thought they'd even go back to Philly for a game six. Uh, I'll try it one more time. I would not be stunned if they won tonight. I would be floored. floored. And I'll say this right now. Just uh, I'll say this right now. And Bob Raceman, write it down. If they win the next two days, they win the next two games and win this series in seven games, if they win, I will, I will retire on the spot. Uh, but wait, there's more. Mm. Diamondbacks manager, Tori Lovello, manager of an 84-win team, the 12th best record in baseball, 9-3 and three in the postseason. They navigate their way to the World Series. He said this about dog pregame. That type of stuff is kind of entertaining to me because I know that Mad Dog has a show and he's got to do his thing. Um, but I would love to see him quit if we won today. <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's nothing, there's nothing better than a wise guy New Yorker saying something and then having to chomp on those words. So that's how I'm processing it, and it'll be great. He's a friend of mine. I love Mad Dog. All right, you know, I thought it was funny, and then I took offense. I'm like, oh, who are you coming at New Yorkers like that? Now, here's the thing. But he's other friends. He's other friends. Does Stephen A. let him through the doors today at 10 a.m. Eastern on first take? I think he should have to do the show outside the doors. They should get him a stick do mic. Do it from the green room? And he should have to do it no, for out, outside the premises. And oh, they wow. say, hey, like it make it a whole bit. You said that you were going to retire. You're, you, they should do like the hard outside knocks. Outside on Pier 17. The key card doesn't work. Wow. You know, he tries to get in and the key card doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, Stephen A. That's, wants to see you bring your playbook. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. What about if they do this? What if they put him in front of the, the green screen? And they put, like, the beach in the background. They make him wear shorts and a T-shirt today. And he sits there, like, with a pina colada and, like, dr- like as if he's on the beach in Florida, retired. Yeah. I mean, you got to do something, right? Gotta do yeah, something. he's got to do something. There, there has to be a bit behind this. I mean, because this is Hall of Shame worthy. Yeah. Mad Dog was so confident. But here's retired. The, but, but here's what if, the thing. What if, what if he just goes home and just is retired and then we never see him again? 
That would, I'd be happy about that. Wow, boy! You're wow, very angry I mean, is, there, is there real beef? Well, because like yeah, the like whole game takes last me give a dollar. He's, the game, he's the about game like, ends, <laughs> right? The game ends, and all I have to see, all I see, is Mad Dog on my timeline. And you know who I really didn't want to see on my timeline was Mad Dog. Like I'm <laughs> like okay, great. Like I, but I'm he supported your team, and now I have to see Mad Dog. That's all I'm seeing is Mad you Dog. Would, you know what, Pat? You would actually probably feel better if you had some Mad Dog to drink. Maybe, I was maybe, Mad maybe that's right. Dog. That's right. There you go. Get you some Mad Dog to get over Mad Dog. And your team said. losing. He goes, I was mad, dog. Oh, mad comma, dog. Okay. Mad, like, just <laughs> go retire that. Leave, leave the corny jokes to me, will you please? I was surprised <laughs> that Mad Dog was so against the notion that the Diamondbacks could come back and win this. That was their their calling card coming into this, was that they were the comeback kids, that nothing really rattled them. We saw it versus the Brewers. It doesn't matter if teams came out early and punched them in the mouth, that they would find a way to claw back. So the thought that the Diamondbacks could do it again in this series versus the Phillies was not a, a wild thought to me. I even said it yesterday. I wanted the Phillies to win because I, unlike other people, wanted Pat to have that moment because he really cares about his team. But we said it yesterday. We were like, yeah. we would. you said that you thought it could be a Phillies blowout. Cece and I yeah. were like, I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I, would, I, was, I was, maybe, uh, I owe a dollar, right? Because I said I thought the Phillies would get going early. Yep. I, I had prepaid the dollar. Now I'm even because I, I, I didn't have a dollar that day in our bad take chart you can see on ESPN2. Here's the thing. I, I don't know about the retire part of it, but I understand where he's going from because there's teams. I mean, we talked to Jess Mendoza, ESPN baseball analyst, about this, and I asked specifically Jess and CeCe the idea of that team with the momentum and the songs and the vibe around them. Yeah. And you just – you talk about your Giants and, like, you started feeling it a little yep. bit like, hey, we are invincible. We don't care that these big bad Patriots or anybody else are in front of us. We can do this. I started to get that feeling about the Phillies. Like, hey, they're going to – they beat the Braves. Everyone said – I think it was – Buster only came on with us yep. and said the winner of the Phillies-Braves wins the World Series. And we all were like, yep, probably right about that. And the Phillies just lost to an 84-win Diamondbacks team. But don't you think that the Diamondbacks have that same vibe, too? They won 84 games, and they're cruising to the CS. Don't you think that they think that they're invincible? Yeah, well, right, but I didn't think that. Yeah, well, here's the thing. It's a different Diamondbacks team than what we saw in the regular season, too. Because Absolutely. the regular season team had a negative run differential. I think they were minus 15 they were. on the season. And you're talking about a team two years ago that lost 110 games. So it was improbable that they could make a run to the World Series. And we always talk about the home field advantage that that the Phillies have in Citizens Bank Park. We knew what the atmosphere was going to be like, and momentum is the next day starting pitcher when you look at the sport of baseball, especially in the postseason. And with Fod on the mound, you just didn't know what to expect in a big spot, winner-take-all type of game. And, you know, even though he didn't give him a ton of length, the guy did the job, specifically in the fourth inning. And I remember looking over at Torrey Lovello, pointing to his temple, saying, be smart when you had the situation, runners at the corners with Brandon Marsh up at the plate, Four straight pitches, four balls, walked him because you had the empty base at second. Then you have Rojas step up and a guy that struggled, to say the least, when it comes to offensive production in the postseason. And every time in a big spot in baseball, it just so happens to find a guy in the lineup that happens to be struggling. And that's exactly what we saw Fought was able to get the punch out, and to me, that's when the game was decided. With Fought being able to do that, hand the ball to the bullpen, then you had five relievers give you five innings of one-hit baseball, no earned runs. That is a formula for success. And I don't think people are giving the pitching staff for the Diamondbacks the kind of credit that they deserve. The relievers, the bullpen, they had a 4.21 ERA in the regular season, 2.76 in the postseason. So to me, 
fought being able to get out of that big spot, bases juice, mm-hmm. not allow any more damage in that inning was where the game was decided. Only giving up one run, that's not going to kill you in postseason baseball. And the Diamondbacks came up in the top of the fifth and got it right back. So I'm glad you brought that up. Great point by you. Arizona bullpen. Reminds, it reminds you a little bit with the five innings, one hit, no runs, four Ks. 2015. Remember the Kansas City Royals win the World Series, and it was literally because of their bullpen. Yeah. They did other things great, obviously. It's as it's like saying an NFL team wins a Super Bowl because of their offensive line. It very much may be true. It's just not as sexy yeah. as saying, oh, a starting pitcher goes, like back in our day, making us feel old, the starting pitcher goes seven or eight innings, has ten strikeouts, and we could sit here and say, well, they won because of Roger Clemens or whatever. That's not the way it is anymore, right? Mm-hmm. It's not seven home runs they hit in a game. They literally had, a, as CC pointed out, a dominant bullpen from a dominant start, but the dominant start doesn't go as long as it used to, and the Phillies could never get out of it. It's it's a collapse, right? I mean, is it a collapse or a yeah, comeback they, here? How do we look at this? Um, I, collapse. I was going to say collapse. I was, was, was going to say collapse. The Phillies offense collapse. scored 10 runs in game two, and then they scored a total of four runs and their other three losses. Nick Cassianos was basically not even there at the plate. He What was it, What was it Pat? One for 31? One, one for 21 in the NLCS. He had less hits than Johan Rojas. The Phillies were 12 for 51 with runners in scoring position. Harper and Turner went 0 for 15 in the last two games of the series. It's a collapse. Not that he's ready for that information at all, but that's why, Smallest, to answer your question about Dog, about I'm surprised he would feel that way, all of us universally just said, no, 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 it's, it's a collapse. We don't think about Arizona coming back. They did. 2-0, 3-2, going two games, the final two at, at the bank in Philly. That's why we sit here and say it's more of a collapse, and that's why it's, it's the focal point but, but today see, Philly. But to say it's a collapse takes credit away from the Diamondbacks and where credit is due, right? It, because no, this, it should take credit no, but away no, from them. No, but, the but, Phillies but, lost the series. The Diamondbacks did not win the series. The Phillies handed the Diamondbacks that series. Well, I mean, the, the Diamondbacks put a lot of pressure on the Phillies, especially with the, what their offense did in terms of manufacturing runs. You can't look at that fifth inning and say they didn't put pressure on, on the pitching staff for the Phillies in that situation. I mean, getting the base hit and then the sack bump while Perdomo putting runners in scoring position and then Corbin Carroll coming up with a timely base hit, being able to put scratch across two runs. That wasn't extra base hits that they were using to score runs. They they did it essentially playing small ball. So, I mean, that that's, that's what you – we don't give enough credit to teams that are willing to score runs in that way in the postseason when they're going to be closely contested like that. It's all about slug. It's all about the analytics in baseball now. And when you see teams turn black the clock in the postseason in critical moments, you got to give credit where credit is due. They, they put pressure on the Phillies, and the Phillies crumbled. So, yeah, it might be a collapse, but it's a collapse under the pressure that the D-backs were able to put on the Phillies. You guys can be a part of Unsportsmanlike Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line as to was it a Phillies collapse or Diamondbacks comeback. You can call us at 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. It's not college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper. The ones fans deserve. Was it a comeback or a collapse? 888-SAY-ESPN. Plus, does the doggy have to retire? Also, last night, opening night in the NBA. CC's team played... And lost. We'll get to that next on Sportsmanlike ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Evan Canty and Michelle are Unsportsmanlike. Jokic flips it over to Porter. Corner three. Down the well. Michael Porter with a triple. It's raining threes in the fourth quarter in Denver. Nuggets by 14. A successful ring night for the Denver Nuggets. They raise their first championship banner. And on opening night, they take down the Los Angeles Lakers 119 to 107 the final. I think the chemistry and the trust that we have in each other and belief is amazing. And uh, hopefully they're going to continue to play like this. The great Mark Kestesher with the call last night on ESPN Radio with PJ Carlissimo and then Nikola Jokic after that NBA season underway. Denver beats the Lakers 119-107. Phoenix beat Golden State 108-104. Breaking news. The defending champs are really, really, really good. CC is a diehard Lakers fan. I can't tell you how to feel. I I was watching that game last night thinking... I'm not discouraged at all. Denver's just really good. I still think the Lakers are going to be really good. The one thing about the Lakers, I don't know if you felt this way. What's up? It's amazing 21 years in, 21, how reliant they still are on LeBron. Like, they only make runs when he's in there. Mm. He's so good still. No, he's great with his playmaking. The one thing that I would say is different from last year is that he played a lot off the ball last night. And and I think that's how they're going to have to use him. They're going to watch his minutes. I mean, he played less than 30 minutes in a season opener, so I think – this is going to be more the norm in terms of the role that he's going to have to adopt now. His playmaking is still his playmaking. He's still got great court vision. He still can finish at the rim. Um, he's added a perimeter game over the last few years. I, I mean, LeBron James, it's unbelievable to say this guy's knocking on being 40 years old and, and he's still able to play at the level that he did. Now, he, he did his job as far as I'm concerned last night. Now, the rest of the supporting cast, including Anthony Davis, not so much. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Anthony Davis, 17 points, 8 rebounds. Like, if LeBron's only going to play 30 minutes or less, Anthony Davis needs to be a 25-point-a-game scorer. Like, that's not a bold Well, hell, he was all. on his way last night. He scored 17 points in the first half. And then, and, and then he was 0 for in the second yeah. half. He was 0-6 from the field in the second half. That's that's the worst second-half performance that he's had since he's put on a Laker uniform. Now, I will say this. Nikola Jokic had something to do about it because he was 0-4 when Jokic was the primary defender. But if you're AD, after how the Western Conference Finals went last year, after how your season ended, after seeing Nikola Jokic hold up the Lario Trophy and being able to hold up an MVP, like, like – at some point, you have to take that personal because that's the guy you got to go through. For the Lakers, that's the team you got to go through to get to where you want to go. And all I heard last year after the Lakers got swept in the conference finals was how this team, now that they've put these guys together, they're going to have a full offseason in training camp to be able to gel. They added pieces this offseason, like Gabe Vincent, like Christian Wood, like Torian Prince. They're going to close the gap on the Denver Nuggets. They might even be deeper than the Denver Nuggets. No, they're not. Not right now. They're not, they're not there right now. They are not there right now. They're not. Now, we'll see what happens over the course of the season. 
We'll see if the depth allows LeBron James and AD to be better versions of themselves this go-round once the playoffs kick off. But right now, just looking at where the Lakers are at and where the Denver Nuggets are at, it's not a gap. It's the damn Grand Canyon. Yeah, and it's weird because I think rightfully so, the reaction after the sweep last year was it didn't feel like a sweep. It felt like it was the closest sweep in the history of sweeps. Yeah. But it was still a sweep. Yeah. And I think that the difference, you know, there is an argument that the Nuggets are deeper in terms of, I'm sorry, the Lakers are deeper in terms of they have more guys that are, are name guys that can play. But it doesn't matter when you're starting fives as good as the Nuggets starting five is. Like, they're just, they, they pummel people right now. They're awesome. If LeBron James is still the engine that makes this team go, and you as the Lakers are going to limit his minutes and really preserve him and the body so that he's ready to go at the end of the season slash the playoffs when needs be. How, how is that going to work for your team? Because we haven't really seen the supporting cast around him be able to elevate themselves in his absence consistently. So I just wonder how that's going to work. It's, it's why – how many years in a row, CC, have we said – Anthony Davis, Pelicans and Lakers, mm-hmm. one of the most important players and one of the key players this NBA season. I feel like we say that for his in- the entirety of his career. Yeah, listen, Anthony Davis looked great in the first half. I mean, he was being aggressive, attacking Nikola Jokic. I was like, man, this guy is is, is doing what I wish he would have done last year in the playoffs. Like, I, I, But when we got into the second half, he pulled a no-show. And that's the part that has me a little bit concerned now. He slimmed down a lot, so the thought is he's going to be able to log heavier minutes. He's going to be able to stay healthier. Hopefully that ends up being the case because I can't deny last year in the second half of the regular season, he was the most dominant defensive force that the NBA had, and that's what allowed the Lakers to not only stay afloat, but to go on a little bit of a run when LeBron James missed a month of basketball. But in looking at this Lakers team right now, they're going to have to find other playmakers. They're going to have to find people outside of LeBron James and Anthony Davis that can facilitate others being productive on the offensive end. And the only person that I would point to right now that I have any degree of confidence in is Austin Reeves. Everybody else is a huge question mark. I get the D'Lo had seven assists last night, yeah. but that guy, ain't, uh, that ain't guy that. ain't it. He no. ain't it. He like it, it, He's not it. Like yeah. I, I look at D'Angelo Russell and I say, We've got to find a way to be able to do better in terms of the guy that we're depending on to be our point guard and to you know, orchestrate our offense, get us into sets, especially in half court. Gabe Vincent, could he grow into that role when he gets more familiarity with the guys around him? Possibly. We saw him do that to some degree with the Miami Heat. But I guess my overarching point is they're going to need more playmaking from their backcourt players before I can have confidence that this team can get to and get through the Denver Nuggets in the West. Yeah, if your concern, rightfully so, is when LeBron is not logging the heavy minutes, someone else needs to Well, he's to play not going to be logging right, the heavy minutes. He's not going until yeah. the playoffs, right? Yeah. You're absolutely right. The idea of making D'Angelo Russell into that guy, guess what? D'Angelo Russell's been in the league for a decade. Yeah. He's not going to be made he's into that, that guy, guy now. He wants to that score. Guy. That's okay. He wants to score. Like... And he wants to score, and he takes bad shots, too. He them, takes terrible shots. For, he takes terrible shots. But you and stop I, shooting the damn ball. <laughs> D-Lo, stop. But, I don't want to see that. Don't no Laker fan want to see you shoot the ball. Stop it. You and I both know, and, and you've alluded to it, haven't put a name on it. I'll do it. He's the salary slot that the Lakers are going to look at to potentially yeah, move he's the guy for someone else. Yeah, right? yeah, he's the guy because CC has made the point, hey, they still have tradable salaries. Absolutely. Post-December 15th when the contracts in essence are unlocked, 
He's the one. Yeah. He's the one that is high enough and that you pair with something else. They're not going to trade. They don't want to trade Reeves. They're not going to trade AD. They're not going to trade LeBron. The other game last night, uh, Phoenix, good win over Golden State, 108-104. Now, reminder, Bradley Beal doesn't play. Draymond Green doesn't play. So we don't they have to. They, listen, they didn't need Bradley Beal with the way D-Book played last night. Yes, oh but. Oh, my God. But here's the only thing I would say about that. I need to see that team develop with Bradley Beal because Bradley Beal is not the defender that his replacements would be. So when you insert him. You're going to score more but defend less. So that's one of those teams. Let's keep an eye on how they mesh. They could win a championship, or we could say sit there midway through the season and say, boy, this is a bad risk because it just doesn't – they're all great, but maybe it doesn't fit together. All right, coming up, Jerry Jones is open for business. As long as you call him. He won't call you as long as you call him. Next on Sportsman like ESPN Radio. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus, electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. So I don't know how this normally works. I've never worked in an NFL front office. Um, My guesstimation is... As we're closing in on the trade deadline, less than a week, CC, correct me if I'm wrong, that GMs get in touch with each other, right? Mm-hmm. I'll call you, you call me, let's exchange ideas, let's have conversations. What do you think about this guy? What do you think about that guy? Fair? Fair. Okay. Jerry Jones had his weekly interview with 105.3, the fan in Dallas yesterday. Reminder, he not only owns the team, he's the general manager of the team, and he was asked about the trade deadline coming up next week. Uh, it'll have to come our way. I don't want to preclude it in any way, uh, but uh, but it always does. Uh, you uh, have uh, a lot of machinations that you're working with every day. I do, and uh, but uh, the initiation of an opportunity to make a trade at this time that would help us principally has to start over on the other end, huh. and uh, so that's not. Being showing a lack of aggressiveness, it's just that's where it starts. I like where we are with our personnel today, and so I'm not uh, thinking in any way that we need to uh, upgrade our roster. CC, he owns the team that initially drafted you. Does this make sense what he's saying? No, no, it sounds utterly, <laughs> I didn't think so. it sounds yeah. utterly ridiculous. And he said, I like the team that I have, not love. There's an opportunity to upgrade, and you're in the heart of your championship window. These championship windows don't stay open forever. 
Don't be stupid. Be aggressive and make calls. You just saw what the Philadelphia Eagles did. A team in your division, they traded for an all-pro safety in Kevin Byard after they dominated the Miami Dolphins, which is one of the hottest offenses in all of football. Like, this is the team that you're trying to trying to stay uh, keep pace with. Like you're always like Jerry Jones trying to keep up with the Joneses. You've got to be aggressive and keep up with the Philadelphia Eagles and what they're trying to do because eventually that's a team you're going to have to get through if you want to go where you want to go. So it makes no sense for Jerry to to not initiate any trade talks and to seemingly hedge for the future when you have a season as important as the Dallas Cowboys are faced with right now. There are so many consequential decisions that the organization has to make after this season, and a part of how they're going to figure out what to do is based on how this season ends. How the regular season and the postseason ends will inform a ton of the decisions that they're going to make in the offseason. So to me, it just seems like you would push your chips to the middle of the table, go all in, and try to be aggressive to add to this team. Not only everything you just said, CC, that the sense of urgency should be there because they are built to win now and you have a lot of tough decisions looming that could impact your personnel. Not only the fact that the Eagles have gone out there and they've been aggressive, but how about the team that whooped you that was your measuring stick and the 49ers are all of a sudden looking mortal? They are dealing with some injuries. They've dropped two in a row. Same thing with the Lions. They just had a loss. Like If you're looking around the landscape of the NFC, aren't you saying, hey, some of these other teams that might be in our path are showing a little bit of vulnerability why don't we fortify ourselves? Yeah. If I'm Jerry Jones, I'm picking up the phone and making every single call that I can to see what players might be available so that I can go out there and make a move to not only keep up with the Eagles, but to make sure that I take advantage of what we're seeing with the Lions and the 49ers right now. Absolutely. And I'll go one step further. It's not like baseball. Baseball, you can only trade people. You cannot trade draft picks. In football, more likely than not, if you want to get the person you want to get on your team, you're trading a number. You're not actually trading a person. So if you're saying, yeah, of course I'm going to make outgoing calls. Because it's not like, oh, you know, I don't want Chris Canty to feel like I'm trying to trade him. It's, I don't want the 2025 third round pick to feel like. I mean, that's what you're looking. I, I understand the Eagles, maybe a bad example. The Eagles did trade Terrell Edmonds as part of it. But more times than not, this time of year, CC, it's picks for players. No doubt about it, because teams are falling out of it and they're realizing our future is not going to have anything to do with how this regular season goes. It's going to be about draft picks. It's going to be about getting more talent in the, uh, you know, coming out of the college ranks. And, and so it makes a lot of sense if you're Dallas, to go, make ahead, go, ahead, calls, go right? ahead and make those calls and trade those picks, man. Take a page out of Les Snead, the general manager for the L.A. Rams. F them picks. You, like, like right now the Dallas Cowboys have needs. They have a need at linebacker. They have a need at running back. Yeah, I get that they got Tony Pollard. He's a good football player. Not taking anything away from him. But Tony Pollard is not a thumper. He's not going to get the tough yards in between the tackles. He's not going to be great when it comes to short yardage, red zone, goal line, those situations that Zeke thrived in. You need to supplement your backfield with a player that 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 has that skill set. And right now, until the Dallas Cowboys do, they're not going to have that physical presence on the offensive side of the ball. They got an offensive line that can do the job. Their offensive line is six in run block win rate. But the Dallas Cowboys are 15th in yards after contact on run plays. Mm. That ain't good enough. Go out there and make a call. See if the Tennessee Titans will trade you Derrick Henry. Yes. Go out there and see if the New England Patriots will trade you Zeke back at a, at a lower rate than what you were paying them last year. Like Those are the calls that you need to make in order to take this team to the next level because you do have an opportunity because the NFC is 
relatively sus. Like, go out there and try to beat the bushes and find those those deals that make sense for your football team and put you closer to being able to get to the Super Bowl. And I can't understand the thought process that they need to be initiated by the other teams. How many teams around the league are like, oh, you know what? Maybe the Dallas Cowboys need a running back. Let me give them a call. That so, part. There's, there's, <laughs> well, that may happen, but, but so you many, also can go get it yourself. But how many teams right now are in that gray area? Like We left the Minnesota Vikings for dead two weeks ago, and now we're talking about them potentially being a playoff team. You know, There's so many teams that are dealing with injuries that could make the argument, hey, if we get healthier, we can go on a run, or we are starting to round into form, so we, we don't want to part with pieces right now. Jerry's going to have to be aggressive and convince these teams why they should part with certain pieces. Yeah, I mean, I guess he feels like he can be just the the receiver of the incoming call, right? I don't think in relationships in life, uh, nobody was calling me unless I was calling them. I promise you that. Now, here's the thing. He could be playing coy. This could be a situation where he's laying back knowing that there are days before the deadline and deadlines make deals. There will be teams that are interested in acquiring draft capital and they're willing to part with veteran players that can help them right now. But if you are the one that initiates, there there could be, uh, I guess, a a, a, – a perception that you're losing leverage when you have those talks. Mm. And so I know, you know, Jerry is a wheeler dealer. He's a great businessman. I mean, he bought the Dallas Cowboys for $180 million or something like that back in the day. And they're worth $9 billion now. So the guy knows a thing or two about business. Maybe it's a situation where he's sitting there and saying, I don't want to lose leverage in the trade talks that I know I'm going to have over the coming days because teams look at me as desperate to try to upgrade based on where I'm at and where the upper echelon teams in the conference are. Makes sense, but then I would counter with a question, but it's half statement, half question. Isn't your job then as a GM to be in constant contact with every other team where it doesn't feel like you're desperate because you're just making the rounds anyway? Like, oh, I'm going to call the Titans today because I have a weekly call with them, just a check-in. I'm just going to say hello to Rand Carthon, their general manager, because that's what I do. No, nah, that's not how that goes. I'm just I'm saying, like, that's it doesn't feel goes. desperate if you're Probably. just constant contact with yeah, them. Yeah, but, I mean, as you move closer to the deadline, everybody's aware. Like, chips are getting, you know, chips are on the table. People are turning their cards over. It's the flop. If you're a poker fan, you know what I'm saying. Like, like that that's it's getting to that time now where you have to show your hand and you have to try to get down the brass tacks and make a deal. And for the Dallas Cowboys, clearly they're going to be buyers. They've had some key injuries. They've had some guys defect that they haven't been able to effectively replace. So it now becomes a matter of what's the deal that makes the most sense for us. And to me, the Cowboys need to be on the phones trying to find a linebacker because they lost Leighton Van Der Esch for the season, trying to find a physical running back that can get you those tough yards, somebody that understands the value of a four-yard run, can be a hammer for your offense. Those are the things you need to take your team to the next level. Right now, the Dallas Cowboys don't have them, and they've got to find a way to get them. 888-SAY-ESPN is your telephone number to be a part of Unsportsmanlike Nation on the Dots or Pepper call in line. We're going to get your phone calls in. Phillies collapse or Diamondbacks comeback. Diamondbacks going to the World Series against the Texas Rangers. Gets going Friday. You'll hear all the action on ESPN Radio. Plus, coming up, how you feeling? A head coach's edition next on Sportsmanlike ESPN Radio. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. How you feeling? We're going to find out right now. A head coach's yep. edition. Smalls is going to give CCNI a head coach. We're going to have to give you the pulse of how we're feeling on that head coach around the NFL. On a day after, our World Series is set. Heard it on ESPN Radio. The Buck Show Walter Bowl. Diamondbacks and Rangers. <laughs> That's my main connection when I think about those two teams is just that Buck Show Walter managed both of them. Smalls, how you feeling? I'm feeling great, but how are we feeling collectively about Mike McCarthy right now? Oh, Mike McCarthy should be nervous. Uh, I mean, listen, if I was in his shoes, I saw the Philadelphia Eagles make the decision to go out there and trade for all pro safety and Kevin Byard, and my owner's talking about he don't want to initiate trade talks. Mike McCarthy's job is on the line this year. He's got to get the Cowboys to go on a deep playoff run, and that means beyond the divisional round, championship game or better, or bust for Mike McCarthy. And if Jerry Jones is insistent on teams calling him in order to initiate a trade, then I'm going to go out on a limb and say the season's probably not going to end the way Dallas Cowboys fans want it to. So if I'm Mike McCarthy, I'm nervous as hell. Mm-hmm. How am I feeling about Mike McCarthy? That I am buying a phone today on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. I'm <laughs> handing it to Jerry Jones. I'm saying, use this. I need some help. Give me some Give me some more players. CC suggested a running back or a linebacker. That's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling discouraged. If this is my team, I can't beat the Eagles. I can't beat the Niners. I may not be able to beat the Lions. If CeCe's right about the Vikings, I may not be able to beat them either. Get me some help. That's how I'm feeling. Yeah, if I'm Mike McCarthy, I'm feeling a little nervous as well. Well, let's stay in that same division, go to the New York Giants. He was the coach of the year last year, but they're 2-5. and five. How about Brian Dable? How are we feeling? Uh, I think Brian Dable's feeling better now that he'll likely have Andrew Thomas back. He'll have Adoree Jackson back. Daniel Jones might be back. So I think that having those guys back – and then have an opportunity to, I, I guess, keep some momentum rolling in a big rivalry game, Jets-Giants. We only get it uh, once every four years when games actually matter. So this is a, a good time for the Giants to be getting healthy. I think it's too late for the playoffs for them. But a sign of good coaching is even though your team has a bad start, you can still find a way to be competitive in the second half and be respectable circa Detroit Lions in 2022. So, Brian Daybol, if you really are an upper echelon coach in the National Football League, show me with something tangible in the way of wins in the second half of this season after your team gets off to a 1-5 and start. If I'm Brian Daybol, I'm feeling like I'm like everybody else that was a Belichick assistant and that I was really good in my first year <laughs> overachieving. I may be underachieving in year two. I better hope I get a year three to prove that I'm actually a good coach. That's how I'm feeling because that's been the trend with the Belichick assistants. I also am feeling that I hope my team drafts a quarterback this year. You were spot on with that Belichick assistance year two take, Evan. You, Thank you. Yeah, the evidence exactly. is there. No doubt. Okay, let's go to Cleveland. The defense is solid. There's a lot of injury questions surrounding their $230 million guaranteed quarterback to Sean Watson. But how are we feeling about Kevin Stefanski? Exhausted. Because <laughs> I'm trying to defend a quarterback in Deshaun Watson that we gave the largest guarantee to in NFL history, and he's given you exactly nothing in return. 
Like, I get it. We had the report from Adam Schefter that said he had a significant rotator cuff injury, and pitchers in baseball usually have a four- to six-week recovery time when they have that specific injury. But I get where Stefanski's at. He's trying to defend Deshaun Watson's sports character when everybody is trying to character assassinate him. Now, Deshaun's an easy mark because of some of the baggage that he came into Cleveland with. But I think it's been a little bit unfair in terms of us questioning Deshaun Watson and whether or not he's going to try to be out there on the field if he's healthy. Remember, this is a guy that took a bus from Houston to Jacksonville because he had uh, an issue with a punctured lung or something and he couldn't fly on a plane. So, I mean, he's a guy that played on a torn ACL. Like, I mean, this is a guy when, you know, he's put it on the line for his teammates. So, if he's saying that he's not healthy enough, I think he's earned that benefit of the doubt. If I'm Kevin Stefanski, I'm feeling like I may be a coach of the year candidate, that I have this team at 4-2 and two right now with no quarterback to speak of, and I'm feeling like I should deflect all questions to the doctors. I don't know. That's a doctor's decision. I don't know. I would like, I, I'm done answering questions about Deshaun Watson. Honestly. Now, the doctors are not made available, so I'm going to push it to the doctor who's not allowed to speak to the media, but I'm out. I'm out on answering questions about Deshaun Watson from Kevin Stefanski. But aren't you feeling a little nervous if you're him because you know you have such a good team, but that you might be still a quarterback away from getting it done? But that ain't on you, Smalls. Yeah. That's pretty clear. He can't be blamed for lack of development with Watson because Watson ain't playing. Since when does fault matter when it comes to people yeah, that get that's fired in Cleveland? You're, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Because somebody's going to have to yeah. answer to the fact that It might, that not, it might not be his fault, but it is his problem. <laughs> well, that's go. a great way of saying it, what you just said. Well, somebody who might be dealing with a bit of a development issue with their quarterback, Matt LaFleur. We have the Green Bay Packers 2-4 and four in their first year post Aaron Rodgers officially. How are we feeling about him? Oh, man, I feel like it's a lot of regret going on in the mind of Matt LaFleur because they made a mess of a transition from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. And it's clear now to me more than ever that the Packers aren't in line for 15 to 20 more years of gold jacket, Hall of Fame caliber quarterback play with Jordan Love. He's just not that dude. Now, I'm not saying that he can't eventually develop into being a good quarterback, but I certainly thought he'd be further along than what he is now, knowing that he's in year four of his NFL career. I get it. He hasn't been the full-time starter. It's been Aaron Rodgers, but it's not like this guy hasn't seen the field in spot duty. Mm -hmm. He should be further along in his development. The offense is absolutely anemic. What we saw in the first half in Denver is inexcusable. It's just a bunch of missed throws. So I thought the the reaction that we saw post-game from Matt before is more of the true reaction and more of his true feelings about Jordan Love as opposed to what we saw yesterday. So you just said something so interesting, and it takes me back to a weird moment. Do you remember the Ben Simmons-Donovan Mitchell Rookie of the Year debate? And everybody said Ben Simmons shouldn't be considered a Rookie of the Year because he had played overseas or whatever. Like there's been, yeah. You just referred to him as year four, Jordan Love. He is in his fourth year. I always think of him as a rookie. Me too. And, no. that, and that's where, to not. me, it's such an – so in your mind, we should be looking at this guy as a fourth-year player. First-year yes. starter, fourth-year player. Yes. And there's a big difference. Yeah. Explain that. Well, here's the thing. I think it, it, it's his first full season of starting, but he's not starting at the same baseline as all of the other rookie quarterbacks that are coming into this league. He should have more football knowledge and a higher football acumen than C.J. Stroud, than Anthony Richardson, than Bryce Young. But it doesn't look like it when he's operating the offense on the field, and that's the frustrating part. So maybe he's not – you know, at the place where a normal fourth-year starter at quarterback should be. But he certainly shouldn't be at the place where we're seeing all of these rookies and second-year quarterbacks be at. So I guess what you're expecting should be somewhere in the middle, but 
that's not what we're getting on the field, and that's the disappointment. Especially because there's been consistency at, at the head coaching position. You know, like he should be up to yeah. date. On it's the same offense. Yeah. It's the same offense, bro. Let me correct myself quickly. Simmons was hurt that year, but it, same point is made. Same point, same yeah, point same right? Point, yeah. That's a great debate. Is Jordan Love a fourth-year player or a first-year player? And a man who played 11 years in the league is telling you, you cannot look at him as a first-year player. No. But that's how we're viewing him. I agree. That's playing. how you and I are. Yes. Well, especially as he's No, playing. that's what he looks he's, like. He's he looks like a rookie. Regressing. He yeah. looks like a rookie, which is the damn problem. He, yeah, he's regressed since the first two games. All right, he made it a, a very pointed comment about how what happened last year had nothing to do with him. It's not much better this year. The 2-5 and five Denver Broncos. How are we feeling about Sean Payton? Oh, I'm sure Sean Payton is feeling like he got a lot of regret because he could have waited 10 months to have the opportunity to coach Justin Herbert. Brandon <laughs> Stanley going to be out of there, baby, and sooner rather than later. So I just, I guess the silver lining for Sean Payton is the paycheck. He's getting $18 million a year from the Walton Penner Group and the 2024 quarterback draft class. I guess that's, that's what you have to hold on to for hope if you're Sean Payton. But this Russell Wilson-Sean Payton marriage is, is headed for divorce. I, how you feeling if you're Sean Payton? You're feeling like when I make the comparison that Sean Payton and Mike McCarthy have a similar resume, I'm saying it complimentary to both. CeCe says, absolutely not. You cannot do that. That Sean Payton is above Mike McCarthy. The way you're feeling if you're Sean Payton is that CeCe's going to come off that stance and say, no, you know what? You are Mike McCarthy, actually. And you are kind of similar. And it, meaning in a negative way, right? I mean, like, he hasn't been impressive this year. Well, yeah, not this year. But I, I don't think he's... Here's the thing. When it comes to the Sean Payton-Mike McCarthy debate, I- I'll never get past to 2006 New Orleans Saints and how Sean resurrected that franchise. The real life part es- of it. Es- Especially yeah. in the midst of everything that was going on. I don't have confidence that McCarthy would have been able to do that. And that that's where it's impossible to compare because there's real life versus sports. Yeah. And they're not always the same. We're Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Unsportsmanlike live weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch on ESPN2 and on ESPNU. Unsportsmanlike with Evan Canty and Michelle.